Greetings, and welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. I'm Phyllis Hollis, your host. As an extension of my Instagram page, Cerebral Women, this podcast offers insights into the visual art world. I interview artists, mainly artists of color and female artists, who will freely articulate what inspires their creativity. In addition, you'll hear interesting perspectives from dedicated art professionals who work with artists and the art institutions that feature them. I'm confident that collectively, these individuals will indeed stimulate your mind as they do our eyes. Please know these interviews are conducted in my Manhattan apartment, so please forgive the background sounds of city life. Welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. In this episode, I feature Yoruba contemporary visual artist Wale La Ganju. Currently residing in the United States, Wale is from Lagos, Nigeria, where he earned his Graduate of Fine Arts and Graphic Design at the University Effie. He is an accomplished illustrator, graphic designer, installation artist, and painter. He took literary courses in English and Yoruba, which helped in forming a broad-based and well-informed literary opinion reflected in his artistic practice. Heavily influenced by African writers and intellectuals, his work focuses on distinguishing Yoruba culture and traditional art in the contemporary art world. Wale has exhibited widely in Nigeria, the United States, Trinidad, and Germany. He was awarded a Philip Ravenhill Fellowship by UCLA in 2006 and a Pollock Krasner Award in 2009. In this episode, Wale will share with us his daunting experience since leaving Nigeria and being a black man in America and how it influences his practice. Welcome to the Cerebral Woman Art Talks podcast and please meet Wale La Gonju. Wale, welcome very much to my Cerebral Women Art Podcast. Uh, How are you doing today? Fine. Thank you, Felix. It's good to be here with you. Thank you. Yes. You know, I've been following you for a while on Instagram and love your work, love the colors, just love everything about it. Every time I see it, it's like uplifting. So uh, I'm delighted to be able to feature you. So let's just dive right in. When did you realize you're an artist? When in your childhood? Oh, wow. That's a very difficult question. (laughs) <laughs> I, I, I never realized I was an artist. The only thing I realized was I wanted to be one. You know, I, I'd always wanted to be an artist. And part of me when growing up was uh, being exposed to a crop of artists called the Oshobo artists. Uh, that was when I was a little growing child. And my father's shop, my father was a pharmacist. His shop was just next door to a gallery. Ah. And ah. <laughs> <laughs> that was when I started to realize I wanted to be an artist. Hmm. Although growing up, I was exposed to a brother of mine who was always doodling. He was always doodling all the time in a small notebook. So I took after that. And my other experiences, we are now growing up next door to a gallery and next door to a performance 
group. Mm. Mm. Uh, these were like experiences that I had in my childhood and which encouraged me and which made me to realize that I could be, I could be an artist. I could be like those people that I was always looking and checking out. That's wonderful. That's so wonderful. And what were your parents thinking? Were they supportive? My father wasn't really supportive of me. You know, my father was a pharmacist. And I think all his life, he wanted me to study the sciences. He wanted me to be a pharmacist too. So until I actually graduated and I began to practice, that was when I think my father began to change is thinking about being an artist. Let me tell you something about why my father would think that way. The gallery next to my father's shop was a gallery that, were, that, was, that was run by expatriates. And this expatriate, uh, one his name was Ulibaya, and he had a wife, Susan Wenger. Uh, these are very popular people in the arts. Uh, they are both deceased right now. And this gallery uh, was stopped by paintings from a group of self-thought artists. Now, these self-thought artists were just a ragged group of people, you know. They didn't have any schooling. They didn't have anything. All they could do every day was just make noise and make paintings and drawings. And I think that's what my father saw. My father maybe always thought that the arts were for ne'er-do-well people, people who didn't go to school, people who didn't have anything to do. Right, right. And that was Nigeria in the 70s. Uh, Nigeria in the 70s, people were not so exposed to the arts. They didn't know anything about the fine arts. Most of the art schools, in the colleges and universities we were starting at that time too. Uh, so there was not so much of a background to the arts at that time. Mm-hmm. So I guess that was, what my, that was why my father thought that it wasn't the right kind of profession for me. Mm-hmm. But you did study, you did go to university. Yes, I did went to, I went to the university and I studied the fine arts. I studied graphic arts and my focus was on the graphic arts. But over the years, I deviated to uh, the visual arts, just painting, which was as a result of my experiences when I was growing up. Well, I'm sure your father must have seen the amazing art that these, um, I'll call them local uneducated people, <laughs> creating. I'm sure it was wonderful work. Yeah. Do you remember any particular artists that influenced you? Yes, this this crop of artists uh, really influenced me, uh, like Chief Trins Seven Seven, like Muraino Oyelabi, like Susan Wenger. Uh, these were artists from the Oshobo School, uh, but they really influenced my way of thinking about art. And when I went to the university to study art too, uh, some of my teachers, like Moyo Okediji. Roland Abiodun, and some other teachers who really influenced my way of thinking about art. 
And these are my influences. These are the people I really look up to sometimes. Your, your work tends to be, it's figurative. Did you start with figurative? Did you ever cross over into abstract? Yes, my, my, my earlier works uh, were not figurative uh, drawings and paintings. Uh, I think my figurative drawings and paintings started when I came to the United States. And around maybe like 2012, uh, I felt a need that, you know, like most of the times, the art that we practice uh, back home in Nigeria uh, tended to be symbols and abstraction. And I felt at a certain time that I didn't need to speak and talk and educate people about some of these symbols all the time. Mm -hmm. That was when I started thinking about figuration. I started thinking about juxtaposing some of the icons I see around me in my new environment with the symbols I used uh, before. And this led me to some new experiences and some new experiments, which is what you see today. What age were you when you came to the U.S.? And how would you say that change of environment, of culture, of everything, how did that impact you? I was, I was like 40 when I came to the United States. I was like 40 years. And uh, some of the things that I began to experience, like racism, like uh, xenophobia, like tensions from being from a different culture back, background. Uh, these are some of the things that I began to, uh, uh, that began to affect me and began to affect my heart and the way I perceived it. So uh, those are the circumstances uh, that really changed me and my way of thinking into trying some new experiments in what I do. Can you share some of those with us? Yes, I, I like I said, I racial tensions, you know, like uh, xenophobia from people, uh, the way you talk, the 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 way you look, uh, where you come from. People always asking you about where are you originally from. <laughs> does, does your country have a flag? Uh, do you celebrate Thanksgiving in your country? You know, all <laughs> the things made me feel different. Mm-hmm. All these things were like new experiences to me. These are, these are questions I never dealt with in my life. Uh, this was a old, new way of being harassed, I would say. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> those are my experiences. A new way of being harassed. The West Police tells you that there's a country having a flag. Do you celebrate Christmas in your country? You know, and uh, and uh, where are you originally from? And these questions that are like a barrage, you know, almost all the time when you meet new people, mm-hmm. when people hear you speak, mm-hmm. uh, you know. So uh, that was that, that was a lot for me at that time, and and that introduced me to a lot of conflicts in my way of thinking, in my way of perceiving things, and. Uh, how it relates to my practice as a visual artist. When you're, when you're creating, do memories from 
earlier years as well as, you know, currently? Are those thoughts reflected in your work? Do you yes. separate the two? I mean, tell me. <laughs> yes. I have memories, you know, like I have memories from when I was young, when I was just a little child, uh, what I perceived as being artistic, you know, and some of these memories still relieve themselves in what I do every day, you know, mm-hmm. I'm constantly inundated by them. And it's always a toss sometimes. Are these ways of thinking, are they still valid in this contemporary age? You know, mm-hmm. so these are some of the things I do deal with in my work. So, so share with listeners your actual work. I mean, I know you work with ink on paper, acrylic, and you're, you're currently working with oil paints? Yes. I, I think my, my work is just a critique of uh, cultural, imperialistic cultural idioms. I, I challenge these idioms. I challenge these monolithic idioms of a central culture. And also, I use my work to denounce the stereotyping of African art and its assumptions towards creating neural conversations about African culture. You know, these are some of the things that I really focus on in my work, the stereotyping of African art, what you expect African art to be, what you perceive African art to be, you know, what we normally expect an African artist to do. These are some of the notions that I challenge in my work. Well, it's been really interesting the last several years, uh, the interest and the prominence that you've seen in, in artists like yourself that are in the U.S. now. It's, it's uh, produced some really interesting work. I think, I think, you know, like this notion of Instagram and being able to reach out to people on a different platform has uh, totally changed the way people relate to African art, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the times now, people can actually see these things themselves. They don't have to go to a gallery. They don't have to, you know, galleries before, you may never have a chance in your life to uh, show your work in a gallery. Uh, but right now, Instagram is a, is, a, is a gallery. Everybody sees your work from all over the world, you know? I don't think I'll be talking to you if not for Instagram or for social media. That's correct. So, 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 that's, that's the game changer right now. It really is. It really is. I yeah. spent a lot of time on Instagram looking. Well, at you know, that time, if I may quickly say something, at that time, you know, like, it, it, it took a lot. You know, when you make a piece of art, you have to show the picture. You have to take the films to the photo, I mean, to the photo studio. That's back home in Nigeria. Uh, they have to put some chemicals on that. They have to produce the negatives. You have to be able to print these pictures, send abroad to somebody who may be interested in your work, you know? Right. Now, all that has changed, you know, from your studio to the public out there, it takes just seconds or minutes. Yeah, and the dynamic has changed even more with COVID. Totally. You know, totally. I mean, this year, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, Art Basel's uh, online viewing rooms and all, you know, all the art galleries. It's, yeah, it's, it's really interesting and it's going to be interesting to see how you know, going forward, you know, how much does this become a part of the new normal? 
And on the topic of COVID, how has it impacted your practice? I don't much. You know, like I've always been someone who works every day, maybe sometimes five, six hours every day. So even with uh, COVID, I still managed to do that. So in a way, COVID has not impacted on me so much, you know, because my work hours remain the same. My, 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 my work just keeps going on. Mm-hmm. So your studio is nearby. Yeah, my, my studio has always been where I lay my head, you know, like my apartment, anywhere I, I live, that's always been my, my studio. Mm-hmm. I've never had the uh, luxury of having a studio away from the house. Uh, right now, I have kids. I have to take care of them in the morning. So it's very convenient for me to have my studio in the house with me. And that's always, that has always been uh, the norm with what I do. You're fortunate <laughs> right now. Well, I, I don't think so. When I was living in an apartment, I had just two rooms. I mean, when I came to the United States, I had only one room and I was still painting. Yeah, that's, that's commitment. That's commitment. <laughs> it's anywhere in my head and wherever that uh, opportunity presents itself. What, what pleasure do you derive from creating art? Well, I, you know, like it certainly motivates me. It mitigates my, my feelings. It uh, orientates me. It calms me, you know. You know, it's it's always a prayer for me to finish a piece and just put my feet up and just look at that. You know, it's always a prayer for me to wake like six o'clock in the morning, just go into my studio, put off my my, my feet, and just gaze at the work and just experience that. So it, that's the kind of prayer, you know, and over the years, that's as subtly it's a part of me, you know. That's the pleasure I drive. I drive that pleasure, and I think a lot of people who buy works of art do drive that pleasure too. Just, just look at it, just, just uh, uh, criticizing it, you know, just critiquing it sometimes too, just looking at it and just deriving uh, some kind of pleasure for me, you know. It's great that your studio, you've always lived with your studio because you've always had that luxury. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's fantastic. So when you're creating work, do you have your audience in mind? Do you think about how they may look or how they may feel when they see your work? Honestly, I think the first person I try to think about is me. You know, I mean, being an artist for over like 40 years now, uh, the first person I think about is myself, you know? The audience comes second, if at all, you know? But I always have the f- notion in me that what I find appealing to my senses, somebody out there will also appreciate it. Mm-hmm. And that's what motivates me sometimes. I, I don't think much about the audience. Uh, I think about myself first, you know? But at the back of my mind, like I said, uh, I know somebody out there will appreciate what I appreciate too. Well, your choice of color is what first attracted me to your work. When do you decide what palette or you know, what pastels or what, what colors you're going to use? Well, my, my, my paper drawings with ink, uh, those are more free-flowing. I mean, those are more 
improvised uh, that are unimprovised, I, I, I would say. Uh, but when it comes to my paintings, I have a work process. I make sketches, I make digital sketches. And I think one of the things I use very much is Photoshop, the palette of colors on Photoshop, uh, which I think is kind of very helpful to the artist to uh, appraise yourself of different colors and different palettes that you might not naturally think about. So I use Photoshop, I use digital technology uh, to pick up my colors. I make sketches uh, uh, and this final sketch is what I transfer onto canvas. I love technology. <laughs> <laughs> so what you're saying is not so much of me, uh, just thinking about colors. That's, that's almost impossible to think about, uh, for me to think about colors like that. Right. You know, but, I, but I use digital technology. And at the same time, I use colors from Yoruba culture. You know, in Yoruba culture, uh, they're just, I think, three basic colors. Pupa, which is red. Dudu, which is black and fufu, which is white. So these colors that, that are found in Yoruba culture, that are found in objects of Yoruba culture, are also uh, uh, objects that I look up to for my color palette. And that's what you see. Uh, the, the hybrid nature of technology, which is from the Western world, and the other palette, which is from Yoruba culture. I hope you understand that. You know, it's not so easy to. Yeah, no, it's it's that's why I interview you because you say things that are interesting. So I'm like, I always learn something. Um, regarding commissions. Yeah. For you as an artist, how different do you feel if if it's a commission versus something that you're creating? Well, I think uh, what I create sometimes actually dovetails into my commissions. I don't necessarily uh, take commissions that tell me what to do, you know. I, I might, in some cases, actually do that, but the interpretation will be left to me. That means I think I reserve the right to interpret that commission the way I think best suits my uh, my art and what I do. So I do take commissions sometimes, but these commissions sometimes are things that allow me to have some kind of freedom to interpret the subject, just like I would with a painting that's not commissioned. That's interesting. Yeah. So this has been a great conversation and I, I have um, one more question. And that is, what do you feel your role is as an artist? I think uh, one of the central things I think about mostly is how to bring cultures together, how to bring people together, how to create new dialogues, and how to uh, really just uh, make people understand each other's culture and each other's uh, kind of background. Uh, this, I think, is one of the most important roles for me as an artist. I, I, I actually view myself 
as a cultural ambassador. I look at what I do as a way to project my culture and to actually use this culture to integrate into other cultures and find other experiences. That supports my theory that art will save us. <laughs> it, it will, certainly it will. Yes, it certainly will. Thank you so much for your time. It's been a delight to, to hear your story. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, please. Take care. All right, you too. Thank you for listening to Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. For additional content, please visit CerebralWomen.com and be sure to follow Cerebral Women on Instagram.